Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today are my co-hosts, Milton. Say hello, Milton. There's a Milton here? Has been the whole time. I like how Jamie's going method and is lying dead in the hallway right now. (laughs) There's just a pool of blood slowly (laughs) pooling beyond my head. I'm twitching. I'm just on a beach. There's still a large microphone being pointed towards me like it's a game show. The only way our Suicide Squad episode could go. Uh, half of us are already dead before the recording has started, and the other half will be dead before it ends. Well, this is when we bring in a new cast, the reboot cast. Oh, that'd be great. We'll die immediately. Wouldn't it be fun if they just replaced, they just shit-canned us with, like, better, better podcasters? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, man. Uh, now we have to continue on with this farce. Ugh. Anyways, folks, uh-huh. in case you didn't get it, my real co-hosts are not Milton and Milton. Although, that'd be fun. Uh, we have Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Does it weird anybody else out to know that technically we've seen John Cena play the comedian? Not until you said it. And say hello to my other co-host, Mike. His balls are huge, right? I mean, we're ignoring the idea he could have been stuffing those tidy whities I feel like... You think he was? I feel like... Okay, let's ignore the actual review of the movie. Let's ignore the actual review of the Suicide Squad. We're going to focus on the psychological makeup of the Peacemaker and if he's the kind of guy who needs to stuff his balls. Like, is he oh, is he wearing a fake bulge? Oh, Peacemaker? Yes. John Cena? No. I would agree. I think the tidy whitey scene is uh, clearly not the real John Cena. I think uh, that's uh, state-of-the-art prosthetic work. See, I- that's possible. I just, I just think it's important to point out John Cena was in his tidy whiteys with a giant dick, and um, he's been on a box of Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> <laughs> Cornering all markets. All I know is if I'm ever in a giant action film and they have a scene where I'm in my tidy whities, my request is going to be that they stuff my underpants so much it's a grotesquity. Like if people obviously know that it's not my real unit. <laughs> like, so you just have like, like taken... several of them. It's yeah. Um... Like there's they the outline of the like, um... <laughs> <laughs> I've taken like 15 gym socks and I'm just putting them in there. That's the way it should be. Yeah. I don't know where anyway, this review is going after squad. that. Yeah, this is. <laughs> I mean, we've already got swing back around. I mean, we've already got the important stuff out of the way. The rest is just frosting. It's very true. You know, today I actually saw someone on a message board complaining about the ending of the Suicide Squad featuring a giant starfish, and they're like, "It should have been something less silly." And I'm like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> In this house, we stand, Starro the Conqueror. That is, is something yeah. the Pulp Podcast Network has taken a firm stance on <laughs> since its inception. You can check the tapes on that. I'm yeah, I'm on your side, Jamie. If you have the chance to end your movie with a gigantic starfish who is just going to smash through cities and possess people with little tiny starfish, of course you would take that opportunity. Uh, as everyone else has already noted, this is a million times better than a generic space portal. You've got a weird-ass, giant-eyed alien. And on top of that, when the giant alien dies, eaten from the inside out by a horde of rats, no less, it has the audacity to go out on the line, I was happy floating in space, staring at the stars. <laughs> it went out like a Del Toro monster, and it's Starro. Starro died with more pathos than Dr. Octopus. 
I, I was not expecting, like, fucking Star to throw me for a loop at the end as he dies. Like, what? That's the James Gunn magic. <laughs> what a, <laughs> Why don't you just cared... want the city? <laughs> H, fuck it, I'm on this planet now, this is my town. Unless they can build me a rocket to put me back in the stars. <laughs> He's gonna become a little fish gangster. He's gonna have a little fedora. Oh, tuxedo, giant tuxedo on Starro. I'm down for that. Nobody fucks with Starro in his star, boys. How did <laughs> da, 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 Starro was in the Suicide Squad movie? But it was a still a Suicide question. Squad movie. Like, it's just, it's impressive to me that James Gunn was able to utilize Starro to tell the type of story you'd find in old Suicide Squad comics. Starro was used as a as a weapon of mass destruction. Like, he was sarin gas for all intents and purposes. And a, a, what could be described as a political conspiracy thriller. It, it works for me just because Starro is not the sole villain of the piece. We have a lot to go no, through to get all. to the point of Starro fucking up the city. Like, it's almost like a surprise coda. Uh, you've got the whole military coup aspect to go off of for the first starter incident. Then all of a sudden you have the reveal that Peacemaker is an even bigger dick than we thought. There, There's a couple of levels you have to go through. Plus there's the threat of Waller nuking everyone uh, for insubordination mixed in as well. There, There's so many things conspiring to kill these guys. It feels apropos for the name to me. There's no specific villain, which is a, a very, it's a welcome breath of fresh air. Because a lot of times it's either there's supposed to be a villain and it, it they just don't get the care or, or time. That happens with the MCU a lot. Um, happens with just action movies in general these days. It feels like um, where there's an antagonist, but they feel like plot antagonists. Where with the Suicide Squad, it alters a lot. There's nothing... There, there's no specification for the villain other than kind of the concept of you know uh really like american imperialism overseas and and whatnot at the very end which kind of peacemaker ends up uh representing in many ways yes i th i think there's also something very very smart in how peacemaker starro and waller are utilized as three heads of one central uh, vague antagonist, which is just the system. And is something that's made very explicitly clear in this movie is its love of outsiders and outcasts and its hatred for any kind of conformity, which is where the genius of making Starro the big bad in the end is, like, like really <laughs> shines through. Just something that literally just controls people like zombies being utilized by a member of the establishment like Waller and enforced by a protector of the status quo like Peacemaker. And each branch of that one uh, Hydra villain just represents, uh, well, it, it serves its own purpose in the story. You have Peacemaker as an emotional threat, Waller as this almost godlike threat that that the characters have to outsmart or in this case like you, you rely on essentially deus ex machina to get out of uh, having their heads explode in the end and then you have the impossibly dangerous like super villain threat of star or like something that's made for the justice league to take down not 
Polka Dot Man and Harley Quinn. That's th- th- there's been a lot of uh, a lot of criticism over the years uh, with uh, the exceptionally bad superhero movies always being linked to the problem of too many villains. Spider Man Three, too many villains. Uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, there's just there's. So- <laughs> I think I really we gotta we gotta rename these right now. I hate that there's Suicide Squad and the Suicide Squad. <laughs> Subtitles are your friend. It would have helped so much. It's Suicide okay Squad returns. I appreciate the low key shade of saying no, no, no. This is the Suicide Squad. This is not. A, <laughs> this is not a Suicide Squad. But yeah, it's like go stuff all like out. Like, Make it like Suicide Squad Strikes Again. The Wrath of the Suicide Squad. Go over the top here. Give me some old like 1960s Japanese naming standards here. Let me let me know this is a different Suicide Squad. But yeah, the thing that uh, failed movies like Spider-Man 3 and Batman and Robin, in addition to their other flaws, was just having multiple antagonists, not just a multiple villains. And I think it was such a, a masterstroke of screenwriting to have all of the central antagonists of this movie just essentially serving the same point and the same master. Now, quick, Jamie, revise all that to add the thinker into your description of them as a Hydra. All that and the thinker's there. You done it. You struck gold again, baby. <laughs> I love how the thinker's just there. Being the thinker with his little head dangles and his tracksuit. <laughs> Seriously, P- Peter, uh, I wish... I wish you the prestige guys could... of getting Peter Capaldi in here, Doctor Who himself, to play a <laughs> jackass with too many spark plugs stuck in his head. A, a, a theater-going experience that will live with me forever uh, is my listening to my girlfriend gasp audibly in a theater when Peter Capaldi says, I call him Starro the Conqueror. <laughs> What has the thinker been doing with Starro all these years? Uh, apparently cutting up corpses and uh, fucking around with them, see if he can make some zombies. I guess I have no progress with the thinker. That was a grand like, body horror the moment there. I, I did love that. Thinker was just doing just, just stuff with money. Around. I think they go into that strip yeah, yeah. club. You think Thinker was like a man about town? Like whenever he came in, everyone was like, "Oh, Thinker is here." We'll put on your favorite song. With his track suit. Ah, I'll just have the regular Cortez. They, they'd get that uh, that snake from uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and cut it open in front of him. <laughs> Except for Thinker would be uh, into that. He'd be okay. He'd be fine with the snake. Iced monkey brain. <laughs> to go back uh, a little bit to the idea we were making fun of before, that this is the Suicide Squad and the other one is a Suicide Squad. Not that I took it as this movie kind of shitting on the original, but I do like how they essentially wipe the slate clean in that first scene by more or less killing the the big stand-in fan-favorite character of the first film, Captain Boomerang. And you get that whole A-team just wiped out, and you move on. You get like your new iterations of the characters. Except Killer Croc, now we've got King Shark. Uh, we have our blood sport. I like the idea of introducing a B team to be like, eh, yeah, sure, it's still the Suicide Squad that you knew before, but we're changing things up. But this is this is the different squad coming in to kind of mop up what the other one couldn't do. Well, it immediately establishes something that the original didn't. The 
central conceit of the Suicide Squad, which is most of them die. And spending Poor so God. long setting them up. I mean, it's like, yeah, you expect Javelin and shit to be red shirts, but I was kind of buying the plot, honestly. It's like, yeah, I don't see Rooker lasting and shit, but, you know, all right, Weasel will probably stick around, Boomerang will stick around. They'll probably, like, send in Bloodsport at some point. Oh, no, they're just all dead. Yeah, the second Weasel yeah, the, the died having before they reached the there. beach. That's when I knew if fucking everything was on the table. <laughs> I did enjoy uh, Boomerang, which you have to give Jay Courtney. Jai Courtney? How the fuck do you say his first name? Jay or Jai? It's Jai. I think it's Jai. Yeah. J-A-I. Like, good, good sport about things. Just imagine you show back up to this movie, and you know you're essentially in, like, one scene, and you have more or less like two lines but hey he still showed up he put on the costume uh it looked like he was having fun i liked his last moments of getting that little smile before the helicopter just fucking bodies him <laughs> and really yeah. a pretty cool looking uh death montage where they're going through like the kind of opening credit deal and it's just his burnt up fist holding up a boomerang a glowing boomerang yeah, to ensure that you can see that at night also i i will maintain <laughs> until proven otherwise his soul is trapped in Katana's sword. He can come back. His soul is trapped in the glowing I'm sure he got back up five minutes later. <laughs> he was just we missing it alive. It's true. Also, also, does it amuse anybody else that this is the second James Gunn project to have a credit sequence that uses people who died? <laughs> just really likes that song. It's like Zack Snyder and Hallelujah. Uh, speaking of James Gunn choices, I loved... Um, his chapter headings? Yes. I, that, uh, the, the, the visual flourishes in this movie are outstanding. Not, not, and it's not just like a great visual flourish. I love what a love letter to like the medium and structure of comics this was. Especially like John uh, Ostrander, obviously. But even like modern day uh, Suicide Squad comics or just comics in general. Like those were issue titles. And I love how you can actually break up this movie into a series of single issues yeah you basically just get a short film with harley halfway through the movie after not really seeing her up until <laughs> that point after the intro it and you're right like there's the scene i think my favorite example of that is the briefing scene with waller in front of the gigantic screen which just looks like something from a like a frank miller comic from 1985 or something yeah it's wonderful to see such color and such such a dynamic visual style, especially like compared to everyone. Uh, do you think that's why everyone likes Rick Flag now? Like he's wearing a yellow shirt. People are like, oh, this guy's all right. <laughs> the canary yellow well, does help. Yeah, uh, that performance in RoboCop? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I feel like that's that's an example of how good the screenplay is when it finds a way to make Rick Flag interesting. This Cyclops of the DC universe. <laughs> it's true. Going in, you have zero. Like, Rick Flag isn't interesting. Like, he doesn't have cool powers or anything. So it's like, ah, whatever. I don't give a shit about Rick Flag. And then by the end of this one, when he actually dies, like, oh, no, actually, he's kind of fun. Yeah, of course you'd die. You felt very bad when Rick Flag died, and I wasn't expecting that because I wanted him to go to hell after the first movie. <laughs> He did, not only did he die, we got a Mortal Kombat X-ray of his heart being punctured. <laughs> so you know he's dead. James Gunn had so much money. I will say, uh, after how much I hated the original Suicide Squad, 
And this isn't like in most movies you walk out of and you don't like it's like, oh, whatever, I'll move on with my life. The original Suicide Squad left such a bad taste in my mouth. Like I was upset leaving the theater. Like I absolutely hated it. I didn't like the way it was made. I didn't like anything about it. The fact that we have a new one five years later that's actually very enjoyable, there's a lot of fun, and it makes me reconsider watching the original one, it's a minor miracle. No. This seems like a concept that should have been like left by the side of the road. I will say, uh, well, I do have a lot of issues with David Ayer's like, filmography in general, and I'm, I'm sure I would have a lot of issues with uh, the original cut of Suicide Squad that he filmed. I think now that we've got uh, the Snyder Cut out there, uh, which restores a lot of stuff that Suicide Squad was originally going to build through, fuck it, do the Ayer Cut. I want to see these motherfuckers fight parademons. I don't don't need to have another cut of I I don't want to be one of those obnoxious people on uh, Twitter or anything about it, but there's not really anything to lose. And and it would, like, I hate the Suicide Squad. a, a yeah. quote unquote air suicide squad but i don't i have not really seen air suicide squad so it even feels feels weird to have an opinion on the theatrical cut which is just this odd studio frankenstein thing that isn't really even a movie so i don't know what anything was supposed to be or how it was supposed to work i don't think it would have been a great movie or even a good movie, but I think it'd be worth seeing the artist's intention. It's not like Ayer's a dunce. Yeah. It, it would be nice for, uh, if nothing else, for Harley's story to have a solid bedrock to spring through, because uh, she has had a very nice, like, small character arc throughout these movies. I'm fascinated by the fact that Spider-Man and Harley Quinn have been the two characters that have done most of their growth in movies that uh, don't bear their name. (laughs) I am going to be like forever bitter that we just didn't get the movies or at least a movie with Joker and Harley doing stuff. Considering the version of the Joker we have right now, I'm fine without it. Just any Joker, any possible Joker. They, They could just paste animation over him. (laughs) <laughs> There's other Jokers, goddammit, or just use Apocalypse Joker from the Snyder Cut. I'm perfectly fine just, like, pretending that Me? continuity is some weird slip-up and half of that stuff doesn't exist anymore. We just move on, throw all of it away. We can we can keep Harley Quinn the way she is. I think is, that's and the official line. That. It's perfect. That's great. That, that part worked. We've got a good Aquaman. We've got a good Shazam. Everything else, I don't know, throw it away. Don't care. Yeah, that's how you explain all of the continuity errors between these movies. Actually, none of them take place in the same universe. They just take place in startlingly similar realities. It's a big old what if scenario. It's the only way the I'd Wonder Woman movies fit in there. And just throw them all out and replace them with Polka Dot Man origin stories. <laughs> like each movie is a new origin story of Polka Dot Man. That's all I want. The sadness of Polka Dot Man. It's, it's very cruel that he finally experienced joy and then was immediately killed for it. Like, you're a cruel man, God. <laughs> Starro God. What a dark joke with him, too. See, just killing his mother over and over and over again. <laughs> See, I, I, I was pretty sh- happy that wasn't put into the spoilers at all. Like, you didn't get in the trailers or anything. So the first time that joke hit, I was like, oh, shit, that is fantastic. <laughs> and then it kept happening. And Gun just kept going for it. I love how much of old date uh, james gunn i see in this movie like this is like 
if you abducted James Gunn off the set of Slither and gave him all of the tools and the skills of modern James Gunn and turned him loose in the DC universe. There is so much weird and so much nasty jam-packed into this movie. I'm just very curious what he's going to do in the, the Peacemaker series. Like, he's already killed off Nathan Fillion, and he's already killed off Rooker. D does he bring them back in different makeup or something? Make them CGI monsters that also get killed? Probably. Uh, or where else will Sean Gunn show up? <laughs> He'll now be in 15 different spots. He's already a EU fucking calendar man. I was about to say, yeah, he's been established as calendar man and weasel. So, and any other CGI creature is pretty much just going to be him, I guess. So he could have like 15 different roles moving forward. They can't get rid of him now. Is Weasel the best design creature of all time? <laughs> it looks painful to live for Weasel. There's something about the way Sean Gunn skedaddles away as Weasel in that final scene that's just, just mwah, iconic. I'd like to think that's how we always ask for Rocket for joining the Suicide Squad. Eat babies. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. I, I don't I even know if they had a purpose for him that. other than they just wanted to fill out the squad for cannon fodder. I mean, he was on the group that was designed to die on the beach. Oh, God, if we're, if we're oh, pulling yeah. on this thread, I just want to know what TDK did to get thrown in fucking Bell Reef. Just being uh, weird. I, Freaky. He used his magic arms. Use his magic arms to pickpocket people like in old cartoons. Like he's sitting around a corner and his hands are like going through someone's back wallet. The fucking perfect hilarity of his arms come off, but then they still move at a normal walking pace. <laughs> I like how he couldn't even like seek cover when he was piloting his arms. Like he had to stand out in the open and then <laughs> yes, just slap people around. Simple. Like this poor okay, guy got even the Harley worst powers. was disgusted with how useless he was. <laughs> Deploy! So returning to Weasel for just a second. So the shot of Weasel floating dead in the water, beautifully animated, <laughs> is the funniest fucking joke in the world, right? I would Saved argue by the, the funniest joke in the movie to me is when Bloodsport and Peacemaker are having their dick measuring contest going through the, the rebel <clears throat> stronghold and are just murdering people back and forth in a, a form of one-upsmanship. And, and the creme de la creme of it is when Peacemaker just walks up to a guy who is taking a nap and just stabs him like eight times without even like pausing during any of the stabs. He's like, cha -cha 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 -cha. moving on. Just the nonchalance of that murder is, is one of the greatest belly laughs I've had in a long time. I am obsessed with the little bits of quiet, like environmental storytelling in this movie and the things that are just shown to you from like the way characters move and do things like, it's fascinating to rewatch that scene and just see peacemaker and blood sport both dispatching people in horrific un and unnecessarily cruel matters but be watching them both be cruel in slightly different ways that inform you about their character without saying anything <laughs> uh, Right, the way uh, those two take out people, the way King Shark just kind of moseys around the environments, not really uh, showing any concern for things that go on around them. Right, the, the way rat, rat Catcher is asleep for half of the movie. Like, there's so much <laughs> telling you about the characters without telling you about the characters in this, which is such uh -huh. a polar opposite of what we got in the original movie, where it's just 
80-yard exposition dump of the film. Remember when they introduced Deadshot like three different times to start the movie with people telling you he was the world's greatest assassin? I'd like to introduce Over you to Slipknot, of him the man who can climb anything. Uh, uh, but going to what you said, Jamie, one of my favorite parts is if you focus on the relationship between Bloodsport and Polka Dot Man, how there seems to be like a building trust where Bloodsport will often just throw a gun or a weapon at Polka Dot Man without telling him jack shit, as in, like, whatever, you'll figure this out, you know what to do. Which seems to kind of, like, you can tell in the background, Polka Dot Man is kind of won over and charmed by this and a little nervous, like he has to make do. Like, he's been he's been entrusted with something, and people actually want him to do things, so he's going to have to do them, even if he's nervous. Yeah, even things like just the amount of character work that goes into Peacemaker just through John Cena's expressions, especially in those last his, couple of scenes. His empanada acting. Peacemaker would just be a joke. Well, he kind of is, but more than that? Well, yeah, but he... he transforms from a joke like he's more like a concept of a joke but a lot is added through acting and gun kind of fooling you into thinking he's just a one-off joke i mean there is a bit there like at the end when he basically begs flag to to not take the drive because he doesn't want to have to kill an american hero but he'll do it you know that steadfast conviction to his ideas of i'll kill as many women children and men as it takes to make peace yeah i was not expe- I also really appreciate no, I'm sorry. Go on. I was not expecting a complex and hilarious comedic performance from John Cena. Like, he, he's been having such an amazing career renaissance over the past couple of years. And it, it, it's weird to think that he's captured kind of like that Dave Batista magic, but like kind of going on the opposite end of things. I feel like there's a lot of misdirection just with all of the characters in that way. Like, other even uh, with how the characters die, like other than the final gag with a uh, polka dot man being taken care of, uh, uh, take, being taken out by Starro immediately due to uh, taking a moment to gloat instead of getting the fuck out of there, the only character who's really humiliated in death would be Blackguard and and maybe a savant for fucking with that bird. Uh, there is a surprisingly am- amount of dignity afforded to all of these stupid, stupid characters. I mean, we do have Javelin not James quite Gunn getting out his last words. Javelin, the most important character in the DCU. <laughs> like, Harley I mean, went on a spirit quest over the spear of Javelin, which she used to save the world from Starro. Well, I do, I do find that amusing because there's so much futility in most of the other characters' actions throughout the film. Like, if you really think about it, what does King Shark do that's super important to the plot? He doesn't die, and he eats a couple people, but very rarely is he doing something that's overall critical for the success of the mission. Even at the end, Starro just kind of throws him through a building. Uh, Polka Dot Man, yeah, gets to kind of burn through part of Starro's leg before he's crushed. Uh, Peacemaker dies before he can, you know, actually stop the mission the way he's supposed to. Bloodsport, you could argue, saves the mission because, well, not really truly the mission, the opposite of the mission, because he, he saves the recordings. But he himself can't take down Starro. It's, that's all Ratcatcher. So it's basically Ratcatcher gets to have the big hero moment, and Harley, because she has the Spear of Destiny, more or less. Everyone else there is almost incidental or dying in futility, which is very fitting for a Suicide Squad movie where everyone's just on a suicide mission. I'm it's just weird. Mostly this is embodied yeah. for it's me for, from Milton. Like, guys, that guy uh, hangs around for no reason and then just gets wasted. And the only guy he cares is Polka Dot Man, who will again just get wasted later unceremoniously. And everyone just kind of moves on besides Ratcatcher. And only Polka Dot ca- Man cares about Milton. Everyone else doesn't. 
doesn't give a shit because James Gunn remembers these characters are villains, <laughs> which I appreciated so much. I the entire concept of a Suicide Squad movie from the first one to this one worries me because and they went too far with it in the, at least the theatrical cut of the first one of them being heroic to a uncharacteristic degree. Yeah. This though really treads the line where yeah the only one who's outright heroic is flag who's not a villain and rat catcher to a degree in that she actually has empathy and cares but she's just a risk like she's not theft. out now that's all we know like she hasn't murdered anyone. she's yeah yeah so she doesn't really have that going on but other than that she doesn't care that much about society it's like it's it's and and I was worried at the end that Bloodsport would actually uh, release the release the files and all that, but no, just using it for blackmail and just that's it. Yeah, I, like, yeah, that's a villain move. I really appreciate what a piece of shit Bloodsport was, like just from <laughs> top to bottom. Like they actually they didn't do the Disney dad thing, like we definitely got with Deadstroke in the first movie, where it's like. Oh, it, it, he, he's a lowly criminal, but, oh, he cares about his daughter so much. Like, no, Bloodsport is just a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> I do think we got a hint of how he's willing to compromise on things. A little earlier when he has one of his confrontations with Peacemaker, where he tells him, like, no one likes a show off. And Peacemaker just turns around like they do if what they're showing off is dope as fuck. And Bloodsport turns around and is like, fuck, he's right. The fact that he's willing to admit something when he's wrong... <laughs> Like, he'll adapt to the situation. He's not going to insist on his way. Uh, I think it was nice uh, through line for the character. Because he gets to the end, he's like, well, you can't have it all. I know what I have to do to survive. Here we go. I'm not going to release the tape. It sucks because my best friend died to get me this tape. Uh, that's my insurance policy, and that's how it is. It's I mean, it's it's interesting to find out that Deathstroke was the leader of the team for, it seemed to be quite a while, based on some concept art that came out. There was clearly the finished version of the of members of the team being led by Deathstroke. Because I more or less just expected, like, oh, Bloodsport with the daughter and all that is just swap. It's just Deadshot, and they just made him Bloodsport. Yeah, same. He's basically the same goddamn character for the most uh, for the most part, as regards to how they set him up. Anyway, he's comic book Deadshot, pretty much. Yeah, but no, seeing Deathstroke, how they treat Bloodsport is very is very Deathstroke. Uh, like just without Deathstroke's honor, but that kind of like piece of shit. But mm, I, I, I do ultimately have a purpose beyond just like trying to kill Superman. So I'll do some <laughs> other stuff that it's vaguely heroic. It is a bummer we didn't get to see him shoot the Kryptonite bullet. That'd have been a fun character intro. I think that's what they get uh, Henry Cavill for. James lets him, uh, James Gunn lets him grow the mustache. <laughs> In a hospital bed. I want to see that prequel movie. More blood sport, please. Yes. <laughs> more everybody. More rat catcher. Yes. The beauty of rat catcher. The beauty of rat catcher one. Take a Watiti showing up. Take a Watiti showing up in the last minute to give the moral of the film. <laughs> say, did you guys expect him to show up and have like a very sincere appearance? I, I normally don't expect it from him. Normally it's something very deadpan, but joking yeah. in this one no it's it's most sincere kind of role he's put out in quite a while i was very surprised it kind what of took mean? me out of he's a really good actor so i forgot honest. i mean the last time we saw yeah. him on screen he was playing hitler so it was kind of a oh this is different 
Uh, I mean, we don't know Ratchcatcher 1's backstory. We don't know what he was running from. <laughs> that, that entire sequence, I feel, may be the most James Gunn thing James Gunn has ever put on film. I, the, just the juxtaposition of like, the beauty of that memory with them like looking down on the streets uh, together, having this moment of comfort uh, as outcasts and then pairing that with like, them taking down Starro in that city street, like the horror of that imagery with the beauty of that memory that's inside of Ratcatcher. And then the, just that shot of Harley inside of the eye. Like her experiencing this moment of beauty surrounded by all of this nauseating carnage. It reminded me so much of the moment in Slither where the mayor succumbs to eating humid flesh while weeping as your every woman in the world to me plays. Gunn is a master of mixing together the very sweet and sincere with the most horrific shit imaginable. And it's really great to see him return to that territory again. Now that that's, uh, I don't think he does anything quite better than that. No, definitely. I think so. I'm very curious if Gunn can top the Suicide Squad. I don't mean in quality or any, anything like that. I just mean as far as this is probably James Gunn's like masterpiece. Everything he's learned, everything he's done, is put together into one singular film. Yeah. And, the perfect way and i'm wondering if he could if he can do if there's mo- even more to that level of masterpiece with you know a guardians 3 another original movie another suicide squad movie or something else like that yeah it was something that left me kind of almost shell-shocked walking out it's like i know we were all expecting this movie to be a lot of fun and probably be very good i wasn't expecting this to be like you said a masterpiece. Like, I still think Guardians 2 is probably Gunn's best written script, but this is leaps and bounds his best movie. Like, I can't, like, this seems like a movie Gunn would have made 10 years after Guardians 2, not uh, 3 or 4. Well, it'd be interesting to me to see how he does, if he ever gets another chance for something like this again, because how often do you get a, a movie where you've got the backing of a major studio that can give you $200 million, a cast of fairly well-known celebrities, you're allowed to go as gory as you want. Like, this is is some pretty big gore. We see King Shark rip a man in half. You see him munching heads. And yet he still does his thing of, of having very sweet or almost kind of schmaltzy moments in there. Like, how are you going to be able to get on that stage again? It's, it's not like you're going to have a lot of opportunities to make that mix. Even going to Guardians of the Galaxy, you could have a toned-down version of this, but I doubt Marvel would allow him to make an R-rated film where he has the collector ripped limb from limb by a giant starfish. So I, this might just be kind of a, the stars aligned and this is the opportunity you get. Go ahead and make something way out there and weird. And yeah, a kind of a unicorn moment. It's, it's yeah, it's um very, it's auteur filmmaking on a ridiculously overly massive scale uh, that said i mean there's no reason for a suicide squad movie to even have a two mil- a 200 million dollar budget so <laughs> it's, it's fucking insane i mean it just shows like DC, dc is becoming a very interesting place to make movies right now like i, I i'm very happy with how the uh the rough edges of this universe have kind of uh, been smoothed down and we reached a point where most of what WB's putting out is 
good and most of it is very weird and interesting like joker is nothing like birds of prey which is nothing like shazam which is going to be nothing like the batman like i i'm really digging what a uh what a unique alternative to what uh what other superhero movies are out there at dc's becoming they're failing so hard with their levels of control and just a whole lot of other factors have really led them into an interesting place of um, you. You seem to know what you're doing. Just make whatever the fuck you want. Here's a lot of money and hope for the best, which for better or for worse, will at least knit you something really interesting. Yeah, I'm really digging DC, every DC movie just being a complete roll of the dice now. I don't care if occasionally we we get a, a dawn of justice. I, I, I like how uh, unpredictable this all is. And I'm as sorry, much, I'm just stuck no, having like no. flashbacks at Dawn of Justice and being very unhappy in the theater. No, <laughs> not again. It's okay. No movie will it, no movie will ever be that bad. Society will not allow it. Now that's a line in the sand we drew as as the movie going uh, public. Never I, again. I fucking I know Suicide Squad came out afterwards. Uh, I know Suicide Squad, or not Suicide Squad, Snyderverse fans who are like, no, Batman vs. Superman was a great film. And it's like, I don't know what truth means anymore. Up could be down. Words don't have meaning. I don't know what truth means. I will, I will, I will fucking uh, go on record as saying the amount of people who love Dawn of Justice are the amount of people who believe the Earth is flat and are probably the same folks. We're on a watch list now. <laughs> yep. That's actually how we end the episode as fucking all of our heads explode. Just bullet after bullet after bullet. <laughs> just put in some sound effects of heads exploding. Can you steal that from scanners? Uh, just, it just becomes the ends of Kingsman all of a sudden. That's, I mean, if I was going to pick a way to go out, that'd be great. When you leave a lot of mess for other people like and die. it's not your fault. So it, it's great because they have to think about you as they're scrubbing you off the walls. But you don't have to feel guilty because it's not like I blew my brains out. Someone else did. That's on them. Remember me. And like that... He's gone. Can we just cut to credits on Cody saying remember me as a ghost for no particular reason? I Yeah, I think that works pretty like solid. I was going to do the normal, like, hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast stuff, but I think it works much better if we all just die. <laughs> Folks, if you've enjoyed this podcast, we do actually have other spots where you can find more of the show, including commentary tracks, uh, movie reviews, or just uh, general bullshitting about movies pretending to have a theme. Uh, you can find that at boxofficepulp.com. You can find more of us on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, I think Stitcher. I'm always forgetting the other places we're at. iTunes. You can check all those out. Please leave us a review, unless it's negative, in which case, please don't leave a review. That will hurt my feelings. <laughs> Pause for effect done. Anyways, folks, we appreciate you listening. That's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. Cody, I thought you were dead. I am! Ooh. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. <laughs>